Good morning. Welcome to Eastern Shore Baptist Church's podcast. My name is Stuart Davidson. I'm so thrilled that you have decided to tune in this week. I certainly hope that today's message will be both encouraging to you, but also I pray that it will be convicting. You can find out more about our church by visiting www.myesbc.net. God bless you and look forward to seeing you soon at church. So I'm curious if you all you can open up your order of worship and follow along the uh, the sermon outline there if you would like. But how many of you ever how many of you ever said a prayer like this? Lord, Lord, be with me today. Anybody? Just be with me, whatever that means. Maybe like you have a hard time thinking of exactly what to say in your prayer, and so you say, Lord, be with me today. How many of you ever said a prayer like this? Lord. Give me an opportunity to share my faith today. Give me an opportunity, Lord, for me to share my faith today. By the way, I have prayed prayers just like that, and I'm thankful that God answers those prayers every day. And I really do mean that every day. Every day, God provides me an opportunity to share my faith And every day, God provides me an opportunity to feel his presence every single day. However, what I've discovered is that God provides these opportunities, the opportunities of his presence and the opportunities for me to share my faith in very curious ways. His presence is most felt in my life when, oddly enough, difficult people are close or difficult situations are present. Have you ever felt that way? That God seems closest when you're in a battle of some kind. Or maybe you are at war with another person. Or you're at war with a circumstance. God, I I want you to be near to me today. Okay, Stuart, well, here are some really hard times. Here are some really difficult situations. And here are some troublesome people. Lord... That is not exactly what I was shooting for there. Okay, God, I, I, I want to feel you closer to me. Or, or God, give me an opportunity to live out or share my faith. Okay, Stuart, here, are, here is someone that really doesn't like you, speaks poorly of you, dislikes you publicly. I want you to love that person and live out your faith to him or to her. Lord, that's not exactly what I was going for. Isn't it funny that God sometimes works that way? He gives us hard circumstances to test our faith and difficult people to strengthen our faith. Most times when those hard days and difficult people come, we generally run away yours truly. (laughs) We often run away from those situations and people, but friends, that's not God's plan. He wants us to stick it out. He wants us to stay put, and he wants to put our faith on display. The other day, I was hanging out with Bryant and Tony, and we were down in the basement, and we were working on Awana Grand Prix cars. Anybody do that? Anybody work on any Awana Grand Prix cars? It's a a project for the kids, but somehow I got left with it. So I was helping 
build these cars. I don't have the necessary tools or the equipment. And so I asked Bryant to help, and he did. And I asked Tony to help, and he did. And we used various uh, tools. I mean, like really professional tools, by the way, professional grade tools. And I was with professional grade people that supposedly knew what they were doing. And my cars finished dead last in every heat. I don't know how that happened, but that's what happened. And while I was in the shop, I realized that some people, some difficult people are a lot like the tools that I used. For instance, I used a measuring tape. Measuring tape. People can be like a measuring tape, can't they? People that always let us know that we don't quite measure up. You don't quite measure up. You, you don't quite measure up. You're not as smart as the other person. You're not as nice as the other person. You're not as friendly as the other person. You could have done that differently or you could have done that differently. They seem to always be walking around with a yardstick and you're always an inch short on the stick. And they are not afraid to let you know that you don't quite measure up. What about the hammer? Maybe I shouldn't have used a hammer on my car. I don't know. What about a hammer? I felt like using a hammer on it, I'll tell you. Oh, there are some people that are measuring sticks, and then there are some people that are hammers. And, and these people are about as subtle as a freight train. They, they have their agendas, and they force their will on everybody, including you. And everyone walks on eggshells around the hammer because they never know when the hammer is going to drop. And they never know how bad it's going to hurt. They're stubbornly committed to use force in whatever way it works to get their way. What about a skill saw? What about a skill saw? Most of us have skill saws, jigsaws. Those, those skill saws, the skill saw kind of people, they're the kind of people that know just the right thing to say that will hurt you the deepest. You know people like that? People that will peer into your life and they'll see the things that you care about and, and they'll just cut at it. Those are the skill-saw kind of folks. Well, there's lots of difficult people in the world. You know, as I began to look at all the different tools that I was using, I, I realized, you know, probably at some point in my life, I've been the measuring tape. Probably at some point in my life, I've been the hammer. Probably at some point in my life, I've even been the skill saw. And guess what? So have you. We're all guilty of it. Isn't it funny that we, when we talk about dealing with difficult people, we never look at ourselves as the ones who are being difficult? <laughs> and yet many, many times we are our own worst enemy. We are the difficult people. But... This morning, we're going to be coming to a great chapter where, of course, Jesus is not being difficult. There are other people being difficult to him, and we can learn some lessons. But before we get there, I want to fill in this blank for you, three different blanks. Difficult people can do a couple different things. One, they can dismantle you. Difficult people can dismantle you. They can tear your life apart if you let them. They can break you down. 
They can tear you limb from limb. They can rip your soul out of your heart and just crush you if you let them. And we've all been there before, dealing with people who've said really hurtful things, really negative things, or maybe even done physical things to hurt you, to abuse you. Difficult people can dismantle you. Here's the second one. Difficult people can discomfort you. They can make you feel uncomfortable. You probably have that person at work that you go to work and and you get there and you shut the door, right? Maybe right when you walk in that office, you shut that door. Why? You're not looking for private time. (laughs) You're looking to keep that person out of your office. You don't want to deal with them. Maybe when you go to school, right, there's a clear path to go to a classroom, but you know there's another long path around that if you take that long path around to the classroom, you'll miss having to see that difficult person face to face or have to deal with a a difficult situation. Maybe even here at church, this is a, a super rare thing, I know, okay, but even here at church, sometimes we have difficult situations and maybe you just choose not to come to church, By the way, one of the telltale signs that there's a difficulty or problem in a church setting, or at least with a church member, is when a church member just randomly stops coming. Generally, it's because there's some kind of a a difficult situation or a difficult person or an unsolved problem that will keep a person from going to church. So they can make you uncomfortable or, or they can help you display your faith. They can help you display your faith. Now, this is the real challenge. When you're dealing with that person that drives you crazy or when you deal with that person who you feel is after you, it's very difficult to maintain a Christ-like and Christ-centered attitude towards that person. But that's what Jesus does. If you will, you can open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 9, verses 51 through 56. Jesus is making his way towards Jerusalem. If you remember last week, Jesus and the disciples, they were having a conversation. Well, mainly disciples. They were asking the question, who among us is going to be the greatest? When Jesus comes into his kingdom, who among us is going to be the biggest? If you will remember that conversation. Well, Jesus rebukes them, corrects them. And then now he says, okay, guys, we are now going to start heading our way to Jerusalem. As it so happens, we're going to make our way to Jerusalem by way of Samaria. Samaria was on the way. So Jesus says, I'm going to stop there for a few days, as was his custom. I'm going to heal some people. I'm going to perform some miracles. I'm going to do some teaching. And then I'm going to continue to go on to Jerusalem. The only problem is the Samaritans would have nothing of it. They did not approve of what Jesus was doing. They wanted Jesus to not just stop in Samaria on his way to Jerusalem. They wanted Jesus to stop in Samaria and not go to Jerusalem. Well, of course, that was not God's plan. I think we as believers know that it was God's plan for Jesus to continue to move forward to Jerusalem, to have the encounters that he had there, and then to die right outside of the city gates of Jerusalem. We know this to be true. The Samaritans did not. And so the Samaritans became very angry at Jesus because he did not want to stop there and plant there for a long time. And so we have this encounter with the Samaritans, then the disciples get involved, and the disciples begin to ask certain questions. And then, of course, we have Jesus' response 
at the very end. Now, if you remember, the disciples a few, chat, or a few verses ago were, were given the task of Jesus to go out into all the villages and to go out into all the cities, and they were to be healing, they were to be teaching, they were to be driving out demons. They were basically supposed to be helping people. That was the last order that Jesus gave the disciples, to go out and basically love everybody. Just love on everybody. But that's not exactly what happens. So if you will, let's go to Luke chapter 9, verses 51 through 56, reading from the English Standard Version. It says this, When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. That basically means Jesus is saying, I, my goal, my passion, my ministry, everything that I'm about is going to take place in Jerusalem. And he sent his messengers ahead of him, which was, by the way, customary of any rabbi traveling from city to city. He would send messengers ahead of him to prepare his place, to prepare food, uh, to prepare lodging. And so uh, disciples were going out to do that. So he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make those preparations for him. But the people did not receive him because his face was set to Jerusalem. And it was disciples, James and John, saw it. They said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them How many of us have thought the same thing? Lord, would you send fire down and just wipe this person out? Apparently, I have a church filled with psychotic people. (laughs) Because you're all laughing. We identify, right? We identify with the disciples. We've felt that way before. And disciples, James and John, saw it. They said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? Can I get an amen? But Jesus, but he turned and rebuked them, and they went on to another village. Jesus said, you know what? I'm going to continue to move on. He takes his own advice. I'm going to dust my shoulders off, and I'm going to keep pressing on because I've got goals to achieve. So this morning, let's look at Roman numeral one. Let's look at the Samaritan's response to Jesus. The Samaritan's response to Jesus. But the people did not receive him because his face was turned towards Jerusalem. By the way, rejection never feels good. And yet it's something that everybody in this room can identify with. Maybe you asked out a girl years ago and you were rejected. That happened to me once, only once. You ever, I don't know how, how, how your first kiss with maybe your spouse happened, but I can remember the very first time I kissed my wife and it was the biggest blessing of her life. But I, I can really... <laughs> I can remember the very first time I told Angela, I said, Angela, I looked at her and her big, beautiful blue eyes, blue eyes. I looked at her big, beautiful blue eyes and I looked at her kind of that longing in my heart. I said, Angela, this is a true story. I said, Angela, I love you. I love you so much. And do you know what she said back? 
Thanks. <laughs> True story. I do remember how it feels to be rejected. Maybe, maybe some of you were rejected from a job. Maybe you got to a place in a job and they said no and it crushed you. Maybe you were rejected from a certain university. You were counting to get in and they said no or a law school and you're hoping, boy, this is where I want to go and they rejected you. We all know what it feels like to be rejected. It hurts to be rejected and it stays with you for a long time. Well, Jesus is moving towards Jerusalem because he knows that the cross is near. And on his way, he decides that he will stop for a time in Samaria to teach, to preach, to heal. And Jesus, by the way, is very familiar with Samaria as he had dealings with many Samaritans in the past. And there's lots of reasons, by the way, that the Samaritans would have rejected Jesus. The first would be they were racists, <laughs> to be quite honest. They rejected him mainly because of racial issues. Jesus was a Jew. And Samaritans, at least by Jews who were also racist, were viewed as half-breeds. They were Jews who had long ago intermarried into different ethnicities, different nationalities, and even worse so, different religious preferences. And so their blood, at least by Jews, was seen to be tainted. And so much so, they were so different that the Samaritans had even crafted not only their culture within their own subset of ethnicity, but they also had crafted their own sort of religiosity within their subset of ethnicity as well. They believed that Samaria was the place of worship, not Jerusalem. Jerusalem was a, just sort of a, a, an apostate place to have a religious experience. But Samaria, that is where, if you will, God lived. And suffering rejection because of the color of our skin or because of our religious background, by the way, clearly is still alive today, alive and well. It's tempting to give the, the side eye to the people that look different than us or, or have a, a different experience than us or what we're or used to. Jesus was the victim. He was actually the victim of racism in his own day. He was not welcome in Samaria because of his skin color, his Jewish blood that ran in his veins, and obviously because of the differing perspective of a religious background that he had. Ultimately, Scripture tells us the real reason, the real reason that the Samaritans rejected Jesus. Jesus had set his gaze on Jerusalem for the Passover event and not Samaria. The Samaritans wanted Jesus to stop and stay for Samaria, uh, in Samaria for that long Passover event. And in doing so, Jesus, the rabbi, the master, he would be validating their religious perf uh, uh, perspective. And because Jesus didn't want to stay in Samaria and he wanted to move on towards Jerusalem, what Jesus has actually telling the Samaritans is you've got it wrong. You've got it wrong. And they were angry. Isn't it funny that Jesus was not going to fit in their box of what they desired, that he said no. Sometimes does that, by the way. Jesus just says no. Not going to do that. What they didn't understand is also 
confuse some people in Jerusalem. If you recall, people ran Jesus out of Jerusalem as well. We forget that a lot. But Jesus got run out of Jerusalem. He got run out of Jerusalem and got run up across. Jesus didn't come to build a kingdom in Samaria. He didn't come to build a kingdom in Jerusalem. He didn't come to build a kingdom in America. Jesus' kingdom is a spiritual kingdom. It's spiritual in nature, and it will be eternal in its lasting. The Samaritans rejected Jesus because Jesus didn't fit into the box that they had made for him. He was not going to be their slave. He was not going to be their whipping boy, nor would Jesus be told or directed what to do. And so they said, fine, get out. By the way, people are still guilty of that today. Some reject Jesus altogether because they don't want him being the authority of their lives. Others reject aspects of Jesus while claiming other parts of Jesus. That, by the way, is, I believe, the most popular version of Jesus that we deal with here in our American culture. We like parts of Jesus, but then we dislike parts of Jesus. So we tend to graft over here and say, well, this is the Jesus that I want, and I'm not going to deal over here with this other Jesus. For instance, we reject Jesus as judge, but we accept his mercy, right? We, we don't want Jesus to be the judge. That seems kind of harsh, Oh, but Jesus is merciful and loving. Oh, that's great. I'm all about that Jesus. That Jesus sounds like a lot of fun. They accept his miracles while rejecting his lordship. Jesus, we want your healing, but we really don't want you to be the boss. Jesus, we want you to to heal uh, our brokenness, and, and we want you to take care of all that, but I really don't want you to call the shots in my life. They accept his salvation, but they don't want to give him their obedience, right? We know a lot of people who profess Christ, but who don't live as Christ would live. Not obedient to his word. They haven't really transformed their, their, their mind, their, their vocabulary, their life. Nothing really looks like that. They accept his healing, but reject his power. So don't be dismayed when we live and speak our faith that some people are just going to reject us. They rejected Jesus too, by the way. By the way, if, if you are living out your faith at work and you are experiencing hardship at work, then guess what? You're in great company because they did the same thing to Jesus. And, of course, the converse of that is, is everything is going hunky-dory for you, and you've got no problems, and you've got nobody having an issue with you living out your faith. Well, then maybe you're not quite living out your faith. Because when we live out our faith, we're going to have problems. In John chapter 15, verse 18, listen to what Jesus says. If the world hates you, know, know that it has hated me first. It hated me before it hated you. Isn't that funny that we all, we think everybody loves Jesus. And they do love Jesus until Jesus starts being Jesus. We love the idea of Jesus until he starts acting like Jesus. And that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to be living like Jesus, acting like Jesus, obeying him, and accepting his lordship and authority over our lives. So the Samaritan's response was, Roman number one, rejection. Oh, rejection stinks. It's horrible. We've all been there. But look at the disciples' response. The disciples' response is destruction. Destruction. Verse 54. 
And when the disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? I was really, when I read this, I was like, man, the disciples, I get it. (laughs) I totally get it, disciples. James and John, I'm with you. You know, I can't believe they're insulting the King of kings and the Lord of lords the way that they're doing. Have you ever heard the statement, have you ever heard the statement, well, that escalated quickly? (laughs) You ever heard that before? Well, that escalated quickly. Or or maybe that that got out of hand. Well, that's exactly what happens here. When it comes to disciples, you might say that that escalated quickly. Isn't it funny, by the way, that we can move from trying to help people to wanting to see them destroyed by fire from heaven and thrown into hell? (laughs) In the same chapter, (laughs) there are marching orders from Jesus just a few moments ago as, listen, go into the villages. Tell them the good news. The kingdom of heaven is near. I am here. I've come to save the lost. I've come to set people free. I've come to drive out demons. If you've got a disease, I'm going to heal it. Man, this is great news. And just a few verses later, the same people tasked with loving people are saying, Jesus, we want to call fire from heaven down and that they would all be wiped out. It's the same people. I've said this before, by the way. People, I think, read the Bible and they think, wow, you know, I just can't. I, everything, that, there's nothing different today, is there? There's really nothing different today principally about people that is different today than there was in the Bible. Now, now again, we don't see people walk around and wave their arms calling down fire from heaven. Not in real life, but we do see it on social media. We see people's lives being completely annihilated on social media or in the news, right? I have no problem with that. And and a lot of us, including myself, we sit idly by and, and we just sort of watch it take place. People's lives being destroyed. Literally, the disciples were driving out demons, healing diseases, preaching the good news, and now they're wanting everyone to die. No one likes being rejected. That is a fact. Second, the disciples also disliked the Samaritans much much in the same way that the Samaritans disliked the disciples. I mentioned that the Samaritans rejected Jesus because of his race. Well, the Samaritans had been victims themselves uh, of racism from the Jews for years. They really just hated each other. And this nasty ordeal put all of that hate on display. Both the disciples and the Samaritans were equally guilty of storing up hatred and malice in their hearts for one another for centuries. The disciples looked at this event as an opportunity to finally rid themselves of the entire race of people. Did you hear what I said right there? The disciples wanted God. This is is literally what they're saying. They were wanting God to commit full-on genocide in the most vicious, visceral, and visual. I mean, fire from heaven is a fairly visual way of killing people. 
that they wanted to do this. They wanted to see these people not like die easily. They wanted to see an entire group of people burned alive, burned alive. This was not a joke. They were not kind of like, LOL, Jesus, how about we send fire from heaven down and kill all the Samaritans? This was not a joke. This was real life. The disciples were not playing games. This was not some trick of the translation. If you go and look at all the various translations of Scripture, it will all say just about the same thing. The disciples wanted all the Samaritans dead. Dead. The Greek word, by the way, being used here is analesco. Analesco. It's, it's where we get our English word annihilate. Analesco. The English word annihilate. It means to utterly destroy, to lay waste, to expend, to dispatch, to consume, to use up. The disciples were really telling Jesus, Jesus, we want to empty heaven of all of God's power and we want it all to fall on this one group of people and we want them gone. We want them all gone. Just kill them all. Disciples, by the way, have lots of low points in the scripture. I think we could all agree. But this might be their very lowest point in all of Scripture. By the way, they were in total agreement, being led by John the Beloved and James, the author of James, being led by these two disciples, but they were all in agreement. From Peter, right, from Peter all the way to the evil Judas, that all 12 were in agreement that this would be a great idea. They all had a business meeting. I can imagine they had a business meeting, right? They gathered together. They probably rolled out Robert's Rules in Order, all in favor of the Samaritans being burned alive from fire from heaven, all in favor say aye, and they all said amen. I think we would all agree, by the way, that what the disciples were asking was not exactly the Jesus way. When we get rejected because of our faith, we don't act, by the way, with this sort of anger and hatred and malice. When we do, when we do act this way, it says something a lot about who we are, and it says a lot about our character, and it says a lot about what Jesus has done on the inside of our life. Essentially, we can't love Jesus. We can't love Jesus and wish death to those who treat us poorly or who are inhospitable to us. A few weeks ago, I was at a drive through at one of our local fast food restaurants. It was Chick-fil-A. Two weeks in a row, I mentioned Chick-fil-A. It's one of my many passions. While I was in the drive-thru, I had received news that one of our church members had passed away. I got a phone call. And it was Sue Green, as a matter of fact. Love Sue. Been visiting Sue at her house for years. And it shocked me. Uh, it was just one of those, like, it just kind of got me. And um, Sue had, had passed away. 
And I literally took the call in the drive-through line, and I just couldn't believe what I had heard. And my, as you would feel, my heart was was broken, and my spirit was in shock. And all of a sudden, while I was in the drive-through line, all of these thoughts sort of ran through my head of of this sort of feeling of grief. But then, sort of, Pastor Stewart sort of kind of kind of had two hats going on. So the pastoral side of me sort of uh, started thinking of, of funeral plans, like how is this going to work? Uh, when was I going to meet with the family? How was I going to comfort them? And, and, and how was I going to comfort them when even I was really upset that she had passed away? And sadly, in that moment of all these thoughts sort of flooding through my head, I hear a horn, like not like a beep, beep, that's like a nice horn, like, hey, let's move along. Y'all ever do that before? Like, boop, boop, let's go. It was, it was a and I, and it kind of brought me back to reality. I was like, oh, I kind of I shook myself out of it. And I looked in my rearview mirror, and there was a lady back there who was hard up for some chicken nuggets, man. <laughs> she, she needed those nuggets, and she needed them now. Okay, and the car had kind of moved on, and I was just sort of sitting there, and I mean, she was really, really upset because I was delaying her chicken nugget fix. And, you know, there were, and so I, 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 I you know, have you ever done when somebody does, I like, you ready? Sorry, you know, my, my bad. And uh, well, I, did, I was like, I'm sorry. And, and she said, don't worry about it. You're number one in my book, and which I thought, I didn't think you could do that in a Chick-fil-A line because Chick-fil-A, isn't it like a, it's like a ministry of the church, right? So I've always had like religious experiences at Chick-fil-A, but whatever. So she said I was number one in her book, which I thought was great, and I really appreciated it. And so when I got to the window, I felt bad because, you know, I was just sort of out of it. And I was like, you know what, I am going to, uh, to, to buy this lady's um, and th- this lady's meal. Now, I was taking my life into my own hand because she was a healthy lady, and I didn't know she could have ordered a lot of food. And <laughs> I'm on a roll today, aren't I, folks? I'm telling you. <laughs> so I was like, okay, I'm going to buy this lady's, this, this lady's food. And, and so I, I bought her food, and I had a, a piece with God because clearly she needed it, a track. And I, I wrote my name and my number on it, and I gave it to the little Chick-fil-A employee, and I said, would you mind, I'm going to buy this lady's food, but when, when she comes up, would you mind just apologizing uh, for me, for her, and giving her this track, and just letting her know, I'm, gonna, I'm praying for you if you need anything, I'm a pastor, you know, I'd be happy to talk to you. So I did. And oddly enough, as I pulled out, a few minutes go by, and I get a ring from a number I don't recognize, and it's this lady. And she apologized, and I said, it's not a problem. I've been there before. I've been on the other end of the wailing horn and impatient and no big deal. Well, she's not from the area. She, she's going, she lives out of town, but she, she said, you know, I would love for you to pray for her. So I prayed for her, and she said, you know what? This is what she said. She goes, I'm, I'm going to be a little more patient the next time, because I don't know what's going on in the car ahead of me. And I said, you know what? I think I'm going to do the same thing. 
And see, here's the thing. Here, here's the great concept of Jesus. See, the disciples had forgotten all the things that the Samaritans had gone through. They had forgotten about all the troubles, all the racism, all of the, the negativity, all the things that had been done to them over the years. Jesus didn't forget. And so in this moment where the disciples are laying on the horn and telling the Samaritans they're number one, okay, Jesus says, you know what? Let's slow down for just a second. Let's just pause. Let's consider their history. Let's give them a little grace. Let's just pause for just one moment. And let's not just throw them away because they're people, they're human beings made in God's image, people that in just a few weeks that I'm going to be dying for on a cross. And, and, and you, by the way, are going to tell them that news. In the book of Acts, you're going to be sent to those people to share with them the gospel. So let's just slow down. Don't you feel that in this story? Don't you feel Jesus say, whoa, guys, I get where you're coming from, but come on. Let's just take a moment. And so as I was reading this story, I thought, you know, that's where I want to be. I, I want to be that person. I, I want to be that person that if somebody's being difficult with me, perhaps they're being difficult with me because something else is going on in their life that I'm not aware of. Maybe there's something that has happened that I'm not privy to, a pain that they're experiencing that God has not revealed to me yet, but perhaps I should be a little more patient. Perhaps I should be a little more loving. Perhaps I should be a little more forgiving because one day, one day, I'm not going to be the person wailing on the horn. I'm going to be the person in the car in front needing a little grace, needing a little love. And so here, that's where we are. We have this destruction. Look at what it says in Romans chapter 12, verses 17 and 18. Repay no one, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, if so far it depends on you, what? Live peaceably with all. Live peaceably with all. Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. This is just straight from Jesus' mouth. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. When you're dealing with a difficult situation or person, be a peacemaker, for heaven's sakes. Because when you're a peacemaker, you look most like Jesus. Here's the last one. We see the Samaritan's response, which is rejection. We see the disciples' response, which is destruction. And then we see Jesus' response, which is compassion in verse 55 but he turned and he rebuked them notice that he didn't rebuke the Samaritans he didn't rebuke the ones that were being inhospitable to him he didn't rebuke the ones that had denied him and rejected him he rebuked his very own disciples during the ministry of Christ there were lots of Samaritans who stand fairly prominent we've got the good Samaritan Jesus's parable we've got the Samaritan leper right? We've got the Samaritan woman at the well. To understand what Jesus thought about the Samaritans and the attitude of Jesus to the lost is to understand God's heart for man, mankind. In every situation, he painted the Samaritans in a positive light. In one situation, he healed 
a Samaritan person. In another situation, he set a Samaritan free from sin. That is Jesus' heart. He gave compassion to those that hated him. He gave love to those that would have harmed him. Just because he was rejected doesn't mean that he would give up on them. Friends, never give up on people. Never give up on them. Never throw them away. Don't give up on your children. Don't give up on your grandchildren. Lord, help you. Please don't give up on your pastor. He's a work in progress, I promise you. That's a good one. <laughs> so, just here's some things I've learned. Again, I feel like I've learned them through Jesus. I want to summarize them real fast and we'll be done. So, listen to this. Um, a, a, couple, a couple of things. I think there's a couple blanks here. Never answer an angry word with an angry word. Never answer an angry word with an angry word. It's the second one that makes a quarrel. Okay? Never answer an angry word with an angry word. It's the second one that makes a quarrel. And none of us are looking for fights. Hopefully, none of us are looking for fights. Because I don't think that's the Jesus way either. So if you're not looking for a fight, then take a moment. You ever heard the thing of count to 10? Count to 10. Count to 20 if it takes that long. All right? Don't, don't create quarrels. But look, when dealing with difficult people, go the Jesus way. One, be patient. Be patient with other people. Be patient with yourselves. Be patient. You don't know what someone else is going through. You have no idea what's going on in somebody else's life. You ever heard the statement, hurt people, hurt people? Hurt people, hurt people? It's so true. So true. Hurt people, hurt people. And we don't know the kind of hurt that someone else is dealing with. Be peaceful. Be peaceful you have no idea what's at risk. Friends, it could be your own life that could be at risk. I heard a story several months ago about an instance of road rage. Someone somewhere had cut somebody off in their car, and they began shouting and fussing and fighting and racing down the highway while the, the, the two cars stopped, and the car that was in the back got out, and the guy had a pistol, and he walked up, and he shot the person dead right there in their car. Friend, you, you don't know what's at, at stake, but I promise you, being peaceful is going to lead to a life of much more joy and happiness than not being peaceful. Be peaceful. Be polite. Be polite. What I have learned in my short life, the 40 years, 40-some plus years that God has put me on this green earth, that a harsh word is never going to get you very far. Be polite. You ever, did you know that? Being polite, a harsh word is never going to get you very far in life. It's important. That's why I try to tell my kids it's always important to say, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, yes, sir, no, sir. I try to instill that in my own children. How can I serve you? When I have people that are on various committees at, at our church, I always tell them uh, on the phone or if I'm meeting that, how can I help you? How can I be of service to you? What I've learned in ministry and probably in life is that you can go pretty far in life if you're just a nice guy. If you're just a nice person. People will put up with a lot of mistakes. People will put up with a lot of errors in life if you're just a good dude. 
So just be nice. Be polite. That's the Jesus way. And here's the last one. Be prayerful. Be prayerful. Now you're probably thinking, that's right. I need to pray for that person. I need to pray for him. And you grit your teeth. The reality is, is that's true. You do need to pray for that person. For a couple things. One, you should pray for that person because what I've learned in life is that the person that I'm praying for, right, the person that I'm praying for, it's very difficult for me not to love the person that I'm praying for. It really is. But here's something else. Not only should you pray for that person, but you should pray for yourself. 